So first of all, Daniel 1, 1 and 2, which we also read this morning. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put it in the treasure house of his God. And then Daniel 2, this is the next chapter, 36 through 45. Um, We would read in that first chapter this morning that um, God gave Daniel this special ability uh, not only to be very wise and educated um, among his peers, but also to interpret dreams. And Nebuchadnezzar had this crazy dream No one could interpret it. And here comes Daniel, God's prophet, uh, with the interpretation at verse 36. This was the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. Just just a little quick thing. Nebuchadnezzar did a funny thing to his own wise men. Normally, he would ask them, give them his dream, and then they would give the interpretation. He tested them earlier in the chapter and said, gathered all his wise men and said, hey, guys, tell me the dream and tell me what it means. And they were like, whoa. (laughs) They obviously couldn't do that, and they were kind of shown. Daniel told the dream and then interpreted it. Verse 36, this was the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. You, O king, are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are that head of gold. It's a giant statue that's being described. After you, another kingdom will rise, inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron. For iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and the interpretation is trustworthy. And then we move ahead to two verses in Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven, He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. 
That's God's word for us tonight. The spirit of Jesus gave Daniel strength to live a committed life for the Lord, and the spirit of Jesus reveals to us God's great redemptive plan in this book. And what we're seeing is the sweep of the divine plan, and we see the sweep of God's plan in three parts, three different levels. The first one deals with the remnant in exile, what we call the remnant in exile. Daniel happens in the midst of world history. And as Pastor Matthew mentioned last week, in these days, Egypt, Assyria, and Babylon were all vying for control. They were fighting one another, taking over various regions. Israel, which had long since been divided into the northern ten tribes and the southern two, has been a pawn amongst these bigger players. Daniel 1 gives us the world history perspective. The king of Babylon took over Judah, besieged Jerusalem. But then immediately after verse 1, we get a different perspective on things, a higher perspective. The Lord delivered Jehoiakim into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. So we see right away there's more going on than meets the eye. There's more going on than what you would find just starkly in a history textbook. God is at work in history, and God has a plan. And the plan has to do with Jesus and his people and God's salvation despite his people's sin. God here is giving the people the punishment they deserved for forsaking him and his ways. The punishment for wanting to serve both God and the Baals, to have it both ways. But though his people rejected him time and again in God's great mercy, he's not going to give up on them or his master plan to bring his son into the world. Which is why, though the people are in exile, Jerusalem is destroyed, They haven't totally been wiped out. So this is the story, this story of these Israelites in Babylon. It's part of the bigger story of God's grace, how he's preserving a remnant in order to bring his son into the world, into the fullness of time, to to fulfill that promise at the beginning after the fall that he would crush the head of the serpent and take care of sin and death that came into the world. The second step is the coming of God's Son. Daniel's interpretation of chapter 2 reveals back then and gives us a glimpse into the next phase of God's plan. It's a peek into the New Testament when we see the kingdom of God's Son come. There was a huge statue in the dream. Its head was pure gold. Its chest and arms were silver, belly and thighs, bronze, legs, iron. And its feet were partly iron and partly baked clay. That was a very key part of the dream. And another key part was a rock that had been cut out, not by human hands. It struck the statue and broke it to pieces. 
Verse 35 says, The wind swept away the broken pieces without leaving a trace of that statue behind. Daniel starts the explanation of the dream where we read in verse 36, saying that the different parts of the statue represent different kingdoms, different world powers. Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar, you're the head of gold, so that's Babylon. Another world power would come next. We know that would be the Medes and Persians. Uh, Queen Esther was married to King Xerxes of that empire. Then another kingdom, one of bronze, would come. That would be the Greek Empire and Alexander the Great. And finally, a fourth one of iron, the Roman Empire. And it's mixed because it would be split later on between east and west. God's Spirit is revealing that the rising and falling of nations that has happened throughout all of history, that continues today, very likely in hundreds of years, the great nation of America is just going to be a blip on the scene of world history, if we can imagine that, just like the Roman Empire. But God's saying this rising and falling of nations will end one day through this rock cut out of a mountain, not by human hands, The rock, of course, is Jesus, and it's the establishment of God's kingdom. And that rock is going to roll, says the dream, and it will destroy all those kingdoms in verse 44. People aren't paying attention to it. A verse we didn't read says, while you were watching, while everybody else is in awe of the kingdoms of this world and paying attention to to, to the, the wars and rumors and wars and the stock market. While everyone else was paying attention to that, it started rolling. Didn't seem like much. What could that little rock possibly mean in comparison to the huge statue? No one pays any attention to it in comparison to the glitter, the attraction of the kingdoms of this world, but While the world was sleeping, the solid rock came. He was loosed from the mountain, we read, without the help of a man. And we know Scripture tells us he was born of a virgin. So it happened through a miracle of God. God started the rock rolling. He brought his son into the world. And in Jesus, the kingdom of God was established. We read that most of the people missed him. They missed the fact that the stone the builders tossed away was becoming the cornerstone. And they rejected him. Herod, Pilate, his own people, Israel, he was killed. And exactly when it seemed all was lost and that the kingdoms of this world would win, Jesus triumphed over the authorities and powers, because in his death he destroyed sin, the origin of all evil and of the kingdoms of this world. Christ conquered death, he ascended into heaven, and he has become the king on the throne. And he sent his Holy Spirit. And the rock rolls forward today in the good news of the gospel going out. God today is establishing his kingdom in this world. 
through his church, through his people, by his spirit. There's a third phase, one that hasn't happened yet, and that's the return of the king. All of that, the rock going forward in the ministry of the church and of God's people will go on until the unleashing of the final phase of God's great plan. And Daniel takes us there in that vision in chapter 7. We read about one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven, and it shows us when his dominion will be established for good. One day God's Son is returning. What a glorious day it will be as we sang this morning. And so the Spirit of God reveals in the prophecy of Daniel this huge sweep of history, the preparation for Jesus' coming, his arrival, and his return one day. And through these stories in Daniel, God shows us our part in that great history. God shows us that his people have a role. Isn't that incredible? In Daniel and in his friends, we're seeing how God kept for himself a faithful people as that rock was rolling toward Bethlehem. Just as then, today, now, God is preserving for himself his people as we wait for the return of Jesus. We are that people of faith, brothers and sisters. We're a people who have been forgiven our sins by the grace of God, and we're called to live committed lives in the strength of the Spirit of Jesus. We saw three characteristics of that commitment this morning that show up in our lives. In addition to that decisiveness and distinctiveness in our lives and humility while we go about it, two more signs of an either-or faith that will be showing up in our lives as we look to Jesus' return. First of all, a trust in God. Daniel shows us he has a profound trust in God. You remember that Daniel, back in chapter 1, he's asking that he basically just be fed vegetables and water. Everyone else gets meat and potatoes and all the rest for the king's table. So, I don't know what you think about vegetarianism and all that. A vegetarian might read this and tell you Daniel's choice actually was the healthiest choice. And it's no surprise. However, I'm not so sure about that. I'm thinking back then, I'm wondering how a vegetarian could get enough protein. You know, today we've got tofu, we've got vitamin supplements. There's no question this was a step of faith. This wasn't a choice of of a healthier diet in those days. And so, as humble as Daniel is in his approach to all this, he's also confident, isn't he? He's confident. He boldly is eating something that no one else thought would help keep him healthy, trusting that God's going to work it out. 
God's going to keep them healthy and strong. And in fact, the step of faith pays off. They're not only as healthier, but healthier than anybody else. I think about that, and I think if, if only we could have more of, of that trust and confidence in our Lord in our lives. Aren't we so timid and so unsure a lot of times as we look to the future, as we make choices of faith? But, but Daniel was able to place his trust in the Lord. He had a knowledge and understanding that God has really got it all in his hands. And then he acted on that knowledge in faith. It's the same powerful trust that his friends had. These three guys, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in chapter 3. They did not bow down to an image of gold. The result of that was death in a fiery furnace. Before those men went in, they said with incredible faith to the king, we believe the God we serve is able to save us. And then they said something even more incredibly full of faith. But even if he does not save us, we will still not serve your gods. A trust in the Lord no matter what the consequences. Because God is sovereign. And they knew he would work all things out for their good as his children. Like I said, if only, if only we could display this trust better. I, and I'll tell you, so I was thinking about this, as good as well as I've been feeling health-wise, when I go into those MRIs every three months and wait for the results, I don't feel very strong in my faith. I feel very, very weak. Friends say to me, well, that's just natural. It's human nature to be concerned. And that's true, and I really appreciate that encouragement from my friends, but I sure wish I didn't crumble quite so easily. I wish I could approach it more like Daniel and his friends. I'm going to go into that MRI fully aware that God is able to save me and keep that tumor from ever coming back. But even if it does come back, He will be with me. May we pray that, that God would fill us with more of His Spirit to put all our trust in Him and live that way. The Bible shows us too that Daniel was devoted to the end. And for that, we jump ahead later in his life, probably when he was in his 80s, we, we guess. And I'm just going to read these verses from chapter 6 about uh, Daniel when he was in his 80s. 6 verse 1. This is another king on the scene, Darius. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. 
Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. And at this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. And so the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, issue the decree, put it in writing so it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. And so King Darius put the decree in writing. What's Daniel's response? Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem, Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. So this this is something else. This is quite the test. Fellow officials try to trap Daniel because of his faith. He's being persecuted for the sake of the Lord. They set up this law that no one could pray to anyone but the king for the next 30 days, or they'd be thrown in the lion's den. They knew of Daniel's high commitment to the Lord, figured this would be a way to trap him. And of course, they were right. Daniel was not going to stop praying to God. What always strikes me about this episode is that Daniel had been so faithful his whole life, totally committed, no compromise. Didn't he deserve to kind of be freed from this type of strong temptation in his older age? Didn't he deserve to kind of go off into the sunset with no more troubles? Such a faithful guy. But that was not God's plan. Instead, Daniel's very biggest test came near the end of his life. The end of his life. Just because he had had succeeded early on doesn't mean more tests weren't to come. And the amazing thing is Daniel was ready. Daniel was ready. He knew the commitment to God is a full-time, it's a lifelong endeavor. Daniel would never be found lying down on the job. That attitude in Daniel, it's the same one we see later in Paul in, in Philippians. Paul, amazing man of God, but he never let up in his commitment. We looked at this at the Friday Men's Bible Study this week. He says, Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on. He kept on keeping on for Jesus. You see, God's people, we don't let up in our devotion to our God. We stay vigilant. We stay close to the Lord We stay ready for attacks from the devil that 
have come and that will come until glory. What was Daniel's response to the threat of death? Went down on his knees. He prayed, giving thanks to God, just as he had done before. That threat didn't rock the Lord's child. And then what happened? Well, he was tossed into the den, but God rewards his faithful servant's obedience. He shuts the mouths of the lions. You know, when we think about the church, the people of God, and and our own faith, sometimes, you know, we can wonder about our own lives, uh, the state of of the faith in our world and in our country. I I just feel like Daniel is a tremendous encouragement for God's people. It it assures us that just as the Spirit of Jesus gave strength to Daniel long ago, and let it be no mistake about it, this was the Spirit of God in him. This isn't about Daniel. This is about our God, the Spirit of our triune, eternal God, alive and well in his people. Just as God gave strength to Daniel long ago, as people were were struggling in exile, living in a pagan land with false gods, waiting for Jesus to come, he has saved us. And he will give his people strength today as we await his second coming, just as surely as he gave the strength as they awaited his first coming. He'll provide the strength and the grace for you and for me too to be committed to following him, that to be decisive in that, to be distinctive, to be humble, to be trusting in our God no matter what. And he'll take us all the way to the end when he calls us home or perhaps he first returns. May, may these characteristics that are increasingly rare in our world, may they be alive and well in the church of Jesus. May they be alive and well here at Faith Church. May they be alive and well in your life. May you live, may you walk in step with the Spirit of Jesus tonight. May you do it this Christmas season and all the days of your life until the Son of Man returns and ushers us into glory. Amen.